Okay, so your your question is is that we've talked about how we as adults have wound up with all of the sankara from the past, but you're asking how does that process happen with kids? Is that right? Well, I was thinking more of in terms of if you're an adult for whom you know, like thinking of the psychotherapy model, like things happen to you when you're a child that then get embedded in a kind of certain level of your thinking and behavior that then become habitual over time and eventually you can't really sort of see them as choices. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's, and that, and that, I'm not sure whether they figured that out all on their own or whether they just picked that up out of some Buddhist book somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, according to Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa, we got to give them credit for being able to find things on their own. Mm -hmm. We don't always have to get stuff out of the book. We can actually look and see what's happening. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> but one of the things about uh, the psychology is is that they get interested in what is called psychological archaeology, mm. which means they didn't they deal with the past, hoping that the past has a clue mm. for the present. And the mm -hmm. answer is yes, it does, and it'll clue you right into suffering in a skinny minute. Mm -hmm that it's better to deal with the issues that we have now, perhaps with kind of an understanding of where they came from, mm -hmm. but we don't have to chase it down. Mm -hmm. But it may just kind of come up. Mm -hmm. The question is, how are we going to deal with it? Mm -hmm. Now, um, there's a joke about that, by the way, and the joke <laughs> is, is that the, the, the guy... Uh, uh, gruff, uh, mean dude, winds up in psychotherapy, maybe he was put into it, mm -hmm. and um, so he and the psychiatrist go into uh, that stuff, and, they, and he winds up thinking about a time when he was four years old when his mom gave him a spanking. And so he and the psychiatrist congratulate each other. Now we know the source of all of this rage, that we know why you're an asshole. Mm -hmm. But basically, they didn't go any further than that, because if they looked at why did his mom give him a spanking, it was because he was already an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so, little kids are, in fact, that way they throw tantrums, mm -hmm. they throw things, mm -hmm. they yell, they mm -hmm. cry, they want their way. They act like little animals. Mm -hmm. They are little animals. Yeah. And our society then is designed around trying to take every new child that's born and make it into a citizen fit for work. Mm-hmm. Right, and every child resists that right along the way, mm -hmm. and so that's that's the way that we 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 become. So we wind up feeling guilty. We find up uh, wanting revenge on society. Mm -hmm. We feel like we've been lied to, mm -hmm. and that uh, um, we didn't get what we were promised, mm -hmm. and. 
I'm proud of the education that I have, but I still don't know what I need to know to be wealthy. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'm still defeated and disappointed. Okay, so here is all of that um, stuff that we are raised with mm-hmm. that I will put into the bucket that mm-hmm. I call critical thinking. Mm-hmm that we are critical of ourselves, we are critical of other people, mm-hmm. we are critical of the society, we didn't get what we want from it, we're disappointed, mm-hmm. and so we've got a, just layer after layer after layer of dukkha in there. Mm-hmm. Every layer is a very thin layer, it's like a coat of varnish, and a mm-hmm. nice coat of varnish is really nice, but 13 to 15 coats of varnish, <laughs> in there someplace <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so basically that's what what happens is that we've got layer after layer of things mm-hmm. to deal with but they'll each one come up in its own time mm-hmm. and that's when we deal with it only is when it when it comes up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the way that we're going to deal with it when it comes up is to recognize it for what it is grab it by the throat and throw it out of the mind Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's all we have to do. I'm finished now. I can go back to being blissfully happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we keep doing that over and over and over again until we get um, quite expert mm-hmm. at throwing the stuff out, mm-hmm. examining it with wisdom. Mm-hmm. So there is a process that we go through in doing that. Mm-hmm. And that um, the Buddha actually talks about it in this sense, um, that there is steps. Um, actually, he doesn't call them steps. He calls it knowledge. There mm-hmm. is the first knowledge. There is the second knowledge. Mm-hmm. There is the third knowledge up through seven knowledge. Mm-hmm. Goes up through seven. And that the the seven knowledges together, combined and working together with each other, is the fruit of Sotapan, the fruit of the path. Mm. But that any one of the steps is a noble step. Mm. And therefore, one is on the noble path with having any one of these Mm. knowledges. That's an interesting point. Okay, <laughs> and so we're talking about a big long range here of at least seven strides. Mm-hmm. So that first um, knowledge mm-hmm. is actually what I talk about to the students a lot about, either indirectly or directly, mm-hmm. in the sense that this is the part of the Eightfold and Noble Path that does start to bear fruit in the sense of the right attitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the first knowledge then is the right attitude that no matter how screwed up my mind gets, I can unscrew it. That mm. <laughs> mm. no matter how hindered the mind is, I can unhinder it. I can unhinge it. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the, that's the first knowledge. That means mm. that we have made quite a lot of progress Mm, along mm, the path mm, mm. to keep coming back and coming back and coming back until we know that we can come back. Mm, mm, mm. And then we have from time to time an opportunity to test it Mm. 
to test the strength. And that testing the strength also um, improves the strength. Mm-hmm, Many mm-hmm. ways are like that. An example of it is is that uh, having students take, um, let's say, pre-test will help them then take the final test. Uh, in America, they have the SAT. Then mm-hmm. they have the PSAT. And the PSAT is what the kids take in high school mm-hmm. to get ready before they take the real test. Okay, mm-hmm. And so um, we can think of then illness is nothing but the pretest to old age. Right. And old age is nothing but the pretest of being old and sick. Mm-hmm. And then being old and sick is the pretext for croaking. <laughs> Are you ready to croak? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. The answer is that you can be if you've got your muscles flexed up. Mm-hmm. All right. If you're mm-hmm. strong enough to handle the big stuff, and that would be a good thing to know, because if you know that you can handle the big stuff, mm-hmm. then you don't have to worry about not being able to handle the big stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when it times come, man, I'm ready to go then. <laughs> but only when it's the right time. I'm not going to try to set anything up or anything, but when it's the right time, yeah, well, out we go. Bye-bye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so long. I will not see you later. I am not coming back. (laughs) I am out of here. So, this um, first knowledge Mm -hmm. then is the knowledge that we can overcome that past. Mm. That most people never think that they can overcome their past. Mm. That, er- that in fact, everything about religion talks about that. There's an original sin. Mm. Okay? You've mm. got original sin. You were born dirty. Mm. Okay? No, we were born instinctually. Mm. And we can clean that out. We mm-hmm. can, in fact. But most of what happened in society was is that basically society is a mixture of uh, ordinary human instinct mm-hmm. with higher ideals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? And so it's kind of mixed together. But when we teach children, we teach their high ideals in a way that they will understand. This is why mm-hmm. we the whole idea with children of punishment. Mm-hmm. To spare the rod, to spoil the child, or to make the child understand that he's responsible for a few things like that. But basically what kids pick up is, is that big people are mean. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very rarely, uh, here's a good example, is, is the, uh, the kids who went to Catholic school. Mm. And they talk about the nuns, mm. but they talk about how mean and vicious the nuns were, mm-hmm. and they don't talk about how loving and kind they were, mm-hmm. or that the kid actually needed that punishment, and he's glad mm-hmm. that, the, uh, no, we don't remember things like that. We, we almost remember it with a grudge kind of a feeling. Mm. Mm. 
Yeah. And they want some sort of revenge for it. This is mm -hmm. because of the way that society is taught mm -hmm. to our children. But then it's those people who grow up with that kind of feeling, those are the same ones that are now going to teach the next generation of kids how to behave mm. with resentment mm -hmm. and fear, fear of retribution, fear of mm -hmm. hell, whatnot mm -hmm. like that. But at least that gives us a society. Mm -hmm. um, they've known about this in psychology for a long, long time, and that is, is that if you have a child at a certain young age mm -hmm. that is around a very, very large family of adults with mm -hmm. aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and all of that, so it's about a ratio of 10 to 20 to 1, mm -hmm. that child is much better off than if he's in a daycare center where you've got one adult with 20 kids. Mm -hmm. Okay, why? It's because they are going to learn with very little scrutiny, how to behave like an adult. Mm -hmm. and instead, they behave like all of the other kids around them. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so keeping kids out of daycare and keeping them around adults, mm -hmm. especially if these adults are happy. Mm -hmm. Okay, to keep the kids yeah. around happy adults. This is the kind of lifestyle, in fact, that the Dalai Lama was, was raised in. Mm -hmm. But we are, most of us never get that kind of an opportunity, mm. and so we get a real mixed bag of yeah. <clears throat> Not around many happy adults. <laughs> most uh, of us, um, yeah. <clears throat> but we're capable of it. Mm. In a way, look at all of that fuel that we've been stored away. We never mm. have set on fire. Mm. It's like a huge fire that we haven't uh, allowed control burns well mm. there's um there's this one sutta i was reading which i i don't think i really understand but it was um where the the, the buddha talks about um before you can shape yourself into before you can shape gold into something that's like really valuable and worthwhile you have to purify it um and i was thinking about I thought that would maybe could re easily refer to uh, stages of awakening, but it could also refer to just sitting for, on the cushion um, and kind of cleaning out the mind. And or it can be both. It can be both, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then I thought it could be both, and it's fine. Um, but in terms of that. Process. Well, in fact, if you keep practicing, and in fact, look at the way that gold is, in fact, purified, mm -hmm. because it is, in fact, purified by heating it up at a high temperature and then have the froth come yeah. to the top, yeah. and then they scoop it off. Mm. That's moment by moment anapanasati. Yeah, okay. But they go through that process more than one time. Yeah. Yeah, depending upon uh, many, many factors. And so mm. they mm. keep doing that. And as mm. they do it more and more, it becomes more and more purified. Mm. 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 Okay? Mm. And we can also see that the impurities is part of what makes things brittle. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and subject then, because they're not malleable, because they are brittle, 
then the nature tends to break it up. Mm. It destroys it mm-hmm. to where if you have uh, pure metal, that mm-hmm. metal is strong and is malleable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it's been purified. Okay, so the same thing is true then with um, noble mind mm-hmm. would be like the golden mind or the mind that's been purified mm-hmm. from uh, negative thoughts, hindrances, mm-hmm. uh, unwholesome thoughts, mm-hmm. thoughts of criticism, mm-hmm. thoughts of me and you against the world. Yeah. <laughs> rather than you and me boogieing down the great pride way of the world. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, actually, you can you can begin to understand it as boxed or narrow thinking. Mm, mm, mm. Just like they put blinders or blinkers on a horse or a mule to keep it fo- focused forward because if the horse gets interested in something he sees over there, he may stop and go mm. over there. <laughs> mm. uh, and so we tend to shut things down like that. That's part of the society is to mm. try to block out the wild nature but it also winds up blocking out all the joy. Mm-hmm. But in, in terms of how, you know, like, um, so Shin um, and Young, for example, talks a lot about the idea of purification and that being a kind of unpleasant, a sort of not an unpleasant feeling, but like not a necessarily a joyful one. Um, is that is that process going on every time we return to the breath and gladden the mind? Is that happening kind of in the background, as it were, or should we kind of? Let me inco- say it happens more often by the mind moments. Right. Okay. First off, let's talk about mind moments in the sense that they are actually a variable length; that they are not mm. a set second. Mm-hmm. but that in some cases they're down at the level of a tenth of a second, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll last a minute or two if we get mm-hmm. really stuck in a thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, or we can be really quick. Mm-hmm. Like somebody can, we can sit here talking to each other and somebody from the other room throws a, a, a big plastic fish at you. Can, can you <laughs> catch that thing in that tenth of a second? Okay, so... Mind moments are like that. And when we talk about being in the background, what Mm. we're really talking about is, is that not uh, uh, as many mind moments are devoted to that as they are devoted to what is in the fore or in the foreground. Mm. Mm. But they still take mind moments Mm. Mm. that you go here and then there and then back to here and Mm. then there and then back to here like that. Okay, it's not in the background. Yes. Like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, that in fact we have to take our attention away from it, and that creates a new mind moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mind moments happen uh, sometimes depending upon the input mm-hmm. from the sensory input, and sometimes the mind moments click with the mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that sati would be a new mind moment, just to mm-hmm. wake up to look at the thought I just had mm-hmm. and to recognize how unwholesome it is. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Or there's also the wake up to, wow, 
I really do feel good right now. This is really marvelous. I'm glad I remembered how good I feel. <laughs> but that takes a bit of practice because normally when we wake up, we have to wake up out of the drudgery of the ordinary mind and then and then throw that stuff out and bring it into the mind of um, can do. The mind of, yeah, I feel, I, I feel pretty good right now. Yeah, mm -hmm. things are all right. Mm -hmm. I can handle this. Mm -hmm. And that whole mentality of I can handle this is that first knowledge. Mm. That's the first knowledge that is noble. Mm. It is super mundane. Mm. It is a factor of the path and it mm. is not held by ordinary people. That's what mm -hmm. the Buddha puts right in that sutta right there to emphasize what we're talking about mm -hmm. here. That this path this idea of being able to change our attitude to the mm -hmm. point that we can say yes, no matter how obstructed the mind is, I can I can throw that stuff out. Mm -hmm. I, can, I can bring myself back to a state of happiness. Mm -hmm. Because if I know that I can do that, now I have a purpose in life of being able to actually do that moment by mm -hmm. moment without mm -hmm. letting that stuff come up and take over. Mm -hmm. And even if it does take over, as soon as sati comes back, I don't go into the thought that most people have in the beginning of, oh, me, meditation is so hard. All mm. oh, this is so difficult. All mm -hmm. oh, the mind is, oh, it's just, I'm, I'm mm. so screwed. Maybe I can go find a guru. <laughs> <laughs> Someone do sake pot and fix me because I'm broken, you know. Mm. This is the mentality that we are raised to believe. Because how else will society be able to control us mm -hmm. if we are not broken beyond repair? Mm -hmm. This is what original sin is all about. Mm -hmm. And most of us don't buy it. <laughs> we just buy it only a little bit. Mm -hmm. and, and we tell ourselves inside, I can really make it somehow, but then we do it by being critical. We've learned that critical mind mm -hmm. or criticism of the world. And what we're doing here is turning that upside down and say, I'm not going to be critical anymore. I'm mm -hmm. going to accept what there is. Everything is good. Mm -hmm. Wow, this is a nice moment. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess this knowledge is, is like third noble, noble truth territory. Is that right? Like, because I'm just thinking about how, you know, like psychotherapy is pretty much second noble truth that's trying to work out how you got to this state and you can easily wallow in that you know but i guess it's trying to look at causal there, links for things you right? just touched on one of the most profound important teachings of the buddha that in western society we just lost right over mm. okay so say it again what is the second noble truth oh uh like looking for the causal links of why what, things are. What was that word? Causal. Cause. <laughs> Cause, right. This yes. is the whole idea. And then actually physics is beginning to get down to this. Mm -hmm. This is the most profound teaching of the Buddha, is that everything has a cause. Mm -hmm. This is what we mean by causality or cause and effect. Mm. Now, the big cause or uh, the, the random everything is happening kind of cause 
can either be understood as the Dhamma or the whole body of the Dhamma, the Dhamma Kai, mm -hmm. or Idiyapapajayata. But in a specific way of the way that the mind works, it is referred to as Paticca Samupada or mm -hmm. Paticca Samupada. Mm -hmm. This is what we mean by causality, that everything has a cause. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Buddha um, uses fire, okay, so the fire is needed in order to purify the mm -hmm. gold. Mm. And the purification process means that we're taking all of the stuff that doesn't belong or all of the unwholesome stuff out one little thimbleful at mm. a time. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly how we practice Anapanasati. Every time that we catch something in the mind mm. that's unwholesome, we throw it out. Pretty mm. soon it gets more and more pure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it keeps getting more and more pure that way, but also there's the issue that everything, ha uh, every fire mm -hmm. has a fuel. Mm -hmm. Okay, every fire has a fuel. And that not only that, but fire is known by its fuel. Mm -hmm. So we have log fires, we have twig fires, we have match fires, we have butane. Mm -hmm torch fires, we have uh, gas fires, mm -hmm. we have uh, diesel fires, mm -hmm. oil fires, all mm -hmm. kinds of different fires, right? Mm -hmm. And every fire is known by its fuel. Mm -hmm. In Sutta number 38, the Buddha makes a big point of that by saying to the monks over and over again several times, do you understand that every fire must have a fuel, and if you rob that fire of that fuel, it will more than likely go out. Mm -hmm. Unless it can find some fuel someplace else. Mm -hmm. But the whole point of that fire is, is that when the fuel is gone, the fire will go out. Mm -hmm. and, and this then, is, this is and, Nirvana. Pardon? Is this yes, Nibbana? That's yes. the whole point. When the fire is <laughs> out, then everything is cool, baby. <laughs> is that Nibbana? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yes, that's what the word originally meant. Yeah, this extinguishing. So extinguishing the, of the fire, except mm. that the word extinguishing, That's a word that I think the Santicaro picked up, and I'm not against it at all, mm. but it does have the connotation that the extinguishment means that you are either robbing of it as heat, like you're pouring water on it, mm. mm -hmm. or you're smothering the fire and keeping oxygen away from it, mm -hmm. but that it happens quite quickly, or mm -hmm. CO2 extinguisher, they call them fire extinguishers, okay? What we're doing here, though, is something different. We're robbing it of its fuel. Mm-hmm. And sometimes robbing of, it is, of its fuel means that it's going to burn for a while, mm -hmm. but it's eventually going to go out. Mm -hmm. If we keep robbing it of its fuel over and over and over again, then the fire will go out. Mm -hmm. So this is the way that we're practicing, and so I'm not really against the word extinguishment, except mm. that it has that kind of connotation to it. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. We are, in fact, uh, putting the fire out, but mm. we're putting it out by going in and stirring it up and, and moving the twigs apart, mm. and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and, and so um, this is another way of of speaking it in an, in an, an analogy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but the important point here, first off, is that the Buddha makes the connection mm -hmm. between fire and consciousness in the sense that consciousness is also known by its fuel. Mm -hmm. So you have eye consciousness, you have mm -hmm. hear, hearing consciousness, you have touch consciousness, mm -hmm. etc. like that. So this is the whole point but then the buddha makes another statement and he says those who do not understand that a fire must have fuel mm -hmm. that will be to their detriment for a long time mm -hmm. okay so he's pointing out something here he's pointing out that the ordinary mind the mind that mm -hmm. does not have this first knowledge mm -hmm is also a magical thinking mind and magic in the sense that it believes that there are fires that burn without a fuel mm, mm, mm. where when we understand that everything has a cause and effect and everything is uh related to and associated with the interrelationship of energy and mass mm. just like the physics looks like mm -hmm. okay everything is subject um, to the laws of physics mm. in that way because physics is darn tootin' they <laughs> understand that uh, a fuel uh, mm -hmm. is required in order to have a fire. I mean, look at all mm. the research they're doing with fission and all of the self, uh, um, solar panel research mm. and all of that kind of mm. stuff mm. is all about where are we going to get all of this fire? Mm. The answer is we've got to be very good with fuel. Mm. But magical thinking out of the past is thinking that things kind of exist on their own. Mm. Here's an example of that. 14-year-old boy standing beside his dad and his dad is shot in the back. And the boy sees who did it. Seven years later... 21 years old, the boy buys a gun and kills that man by shooting him in the back. The one who shot his dad. Now, who killed that man? Was it the comma machine? <laughs> yeah. Was it the revenge that the boy kept going inside? The, the mm. fire that he kept stoking and fueling? Mm. Because if the boy had not been there and had not uh, stoked and fueled that fire, mm. then the comma machine would have not been able to do it. Second mm. example, Hitler dies. He goes to hell and they roast him really good. But now it's time for him to uh, be put back into the animal world and he comes back as a donkey. Mm -hmm. He thought he was going to be a pony. <laughs> In fact, the man bought a pony. But when he gave his daughter the pony, it was a donkey. Mm -hmm. and the donkey stepped on his daughter's foot and she cried and the man got angry and he pulls out his gun and he shoots the donkey Hitler okay now who <laughs> killed that donkey 
Did the girls crying kill the donkey? Did the pistol kill the donkey? Let's go after the gun manufacturers. Did the guy who shot the donkey, did he kill the donkey? Or was it something that Hitler had coming to him? The comma machine did it. <laughs> okay, so you can see how ferocious all of these stories become when we don't have any fuel for the fire. Mm. But when we have fuel for the fire, then we know what causality is. We know mm -hmm. that that fuel is what is burning in that fire. Mm -hmm. This is a reality that is at the heart of the second noble truth. Mm -hmm. This is that dukkha has a cause. It has mm -hmm. a, 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 a causation of fire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or it's got a fuel that burns it. Mm -hmm. And that, mm. that fuel then is um, in reference to Mara and his mm. daughters, mm. greed, ill will, and delusion. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then when we fully unpack this causality, mm. we get right down to Paticca Samupada, the dependent origination, one thing after another, mm -hmm. that builds out the entire sequence of. Um, the teaching of Patija Samapada of mm. how with the foundation and with our mind, with our sense consciousness <clears throat> that mm. we manufacture out of our past, mm -hmm. like the uniform that we talked about, mm. so that that's what impacts us mm -hmm. rather than what's actually real. Mm. That mm. it takes a lot of not processing very much or not digging mm. stuff up out of the past and just processing with what we have mm. available now mm. and what we wind up with is hey if everything is good then there's no problem mm -hmm. so in a way the uh, a lot of dukkha is caused by a kind of attempt to make <clears throat> to fit fit in to put it simply but like um that there's a, an, a um a desire to kind of uh, create from uh, to try and kind of um, learn the codes of, of behavior and in, in order that you see the codes but you don't see the reality. Is that, I'm not expressing it very well. Yes, <clears throat> I would say this way, that let us talk about the codes or in fact a set of rules or a set of procedures or ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. And that this is transmitted from one person to the next mm, yeah. because it's easy enough to give someone a set of rules, mm. almost like if it were programming a robot that's programmable. You get this new mm. robot into this factory and you take it by the hand and mm. you do the job. Mm -hmm. And now the robot comes back and he can do that same job. He makes a few changes here and there. And now I can do it twice as fast as you can. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is, unfortunately, we don't do it that way. Mm -hmm. We're not capable of going through the actual procedures very well. Or maybe mm -hmm. we don't have quite enough training to do so. Mm -hmm. In other mm -hmm. words, what I'm actually voting for Mm. And this reminds me of actually being in front of the school board in Charlotte, North Carolina as a monk one time, mm. offering that we actually do need to put morality in the schools. We cannot afford 
to let the religions do it by themselves mm. because they'll have individual viewpoints of what needs to be done and mm. that uh, we need a kind of a unified code mm. so that we can <clears throat> not cause squabbles, that we need to find a way of teaching our kids to get along with each other. Mm -hmm. But in fact, in the United States, we're absolutely sure you cannot teach morality in school. Mm -hmm. Not allowed. Mm -hmm. um, on an individual board basis, I imagine that there may be a few places, but mm -hmm. uh, generally they want clergy to do the morality teaching mm -hmm. rather than having you know, real ethics. Now, when they get into graduate school, like law and medicine and whatnot, now, then they'll have a class on ethics. And that's way, way too late. <laughs> we need to have these, this morality training mm -hmm. in the first and second and third grade. Um, so the morality training, though, is not the training that is and done in the same way that it's normally done. It's normally mm. done in a catch-as-catch-can, haphazard, and it always has the carrot and the stick built mm. into it without mm. ever having the real wisdom mm. of what's going on. Mm. Mm. That some parents do that. I remember my mother telling me one time that, that my dad... Uh, excuse me, her dad, her grandpa, would not punish her, but he would sit down and have a long talk with her. Right. <laughs> and I began to understand that, yeah, she may have not liked that talk very well, but she got something out of it. Mm -hmm. Because her moral, her moral standing was quite excellent. Mm -hmm. So anyway... Um, the, the point that I'm making here is, is that if we could somehow not give kids a set of rules, but mm -hmm. rather give them the guidelines of the Dhamma about what is appropriate and not appropriate, what's wholesome and not wholesome, what is Dukkha and what is Dukkha Naroda, mm -hmm. then the kids can make up their own minds about what is right and wrong, and sometimes mm -hmm. they call into the fire and get burned. Mm -hmm. And that's when they really learned that, oh, wait a minute, I should not have called into that fire. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes, in a real sense, when a kid is about to call into the fire, the parents will grab him up and try to tell him, no, you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But in, for instance, the American uh, Indian tradition, mm -hmm. if a young a child does call into the fire, they will allow the child to do it. Mm -hmm. because how else is a child going to learn what hot is you can't mm -hmm. tell a child what is hot yeah he has to find that out for himself mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah but then i i guess to to, re to return it to what we were talking about earlier if let's say that the child goes into the fire and has like a really traumatic experience of fire and then for the rest of their life is you know, psychologically terrified of fire and won't go near it, and then sort of ends up uh, ends up like dying in in the snow somewhere because he because <laughs> as an older man he can't he can't he doesn't want to warm himself by the fire. You know, like so there can be. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Okay. 
um, there can be overreactions to uh, negative stimulus, and 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 that's I guess that's kind of you are what, actually now talking about phobias. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I, and, I guess and, and being afraid of spiders or being afraid of snakes. You know how, in fact, psychiatrists deal with such things. Yeah. Okay, like the spider. First off, he just talks about spiders a little bit. Mm-hmm. And after we're, she's okay with him talking about spiders, he says, by the way, I've got one in my pocket. Yeah. And he freaks out and he says, never mind, don't worry, it's only a plastic spider. You mm-hmm. want to see it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so slowly, slowly we introduce them to it. Mm-hmm. But that's only because they have been really screwed up for a really long time. Mm-hmm. There's a much better way of doing it, and in fact, it just happened several years ago right here in the yard. Mm-hmm. But it, it comes from if you are as a kid are learning to ride a horse and that horse throws you off, if you can, you'd better climb back on that horse right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so here Pablo is out in the yard doing meditation retreats and he wants to go see, and I said, okay, we'll take the motorbike. And mm. immediately, promptly, then crashes it right into the side of the car. Mm. But I say, never mind. Get on that motorbike and go. And he <laughs> went. And later, he thanked me. Sir, I'm really glad that you made me get on that bike because I would have never gotten on it again. Okay, mm. so that's exactly what we're talking about. Mm. Is is that we uh, first off, if we can prevent the child from mm. having a trauma, mm-hmm. in uh, um, Pablo's case. I had no choice. He actually did run that motorbike right into the car. <laughs> 10 or 15 feet. And he could apply the brakes, but he just, like that. And then he's like this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and while yeah. he runs it right into the car. That's what I'd have been like. <laughs> okay, so that's like the child running right into the fire. All right. You've mm-hmm. got to teach the child now that you've fallen into the fire and we've gotten you out and you survived. Guess what? Now it's time to go back to the fire. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm. We do. We want you to get over it, and so we do have to pick up those traumas. Mm. But eventually, through the Dharma practice, and that Dharma can be, if it's if the kid's lucky, can be part of his upbringing. Mm-hmm. Is is that hey, you made it. Mm. You're okay. Mm. You did fine with that. Yeah, mm. you crawled into the fire and you burned your finger and you got a boo boo. Oh, poor you. But mm-hmm. you'll get over that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, sorry sorry to interrupt, but I mean, is this the first knowledge that you were mentioning earlier? Like this Mm -hmm. kind of understanding that you will be okay, that is, that's one of the seven knowledges. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That no matter how obstructed the mind is with Mm -hmm. the hand being on fire, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can, I can cool it off. Mm-hmm. And and be happy in this mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is, in fact, something that I think that the Dhamma working works very well with for people with pain, chronic mm-hmm. pain, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because chronic pain is. Um, first off, people go to the doctor, and the doctor wants to give them medications that mm-hmm. are probably opiate based. Mm-hmm. which means that they're on a sliding skill hill going downhill into mm-hmm. drug use. Mm-hmm. 
And all the while, no matter how much drugs they take, they still have the same quality that they started out with. And that is, is that that chronic pain, above all else, they don't like it. <clears throat> yeah. And they want to get rid of that chronic pain. And they'll do anything to get rid of it because they don't like it. Mm -hmm. Second noble truth right mm -hmm. here, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't like that sensation. Mm -hmm. Learning to understand that it's a sensation in the body and that it's not a chronic pain, mm -hmm. that it's only a chronic pain because, number one, we call it chronic mm -hmm. and we call it pain. Mm -hmm. And the chronic quality of it is, is that every time I remember, there it is, and then I hate it, and then mm -hmm. there it is, and I hate it, okay? Mm -hmm. But if we start dealing with that wisely, then we can say, there that sensation is, and look, I only noticed it. Mm -hmm. Was it there when I wasn't noticing it? Mm -hmm. And then we begin to notice it and pay attention to it as if, in fact, if it, if it is a constant companion, wouldn't you rather have the companions with friends mm -hmm. or to be companions with enemies? <laughs> So I, I guess it, this is again making me think of the uniform and the um, <laughs> to stretch the metaphor. It's making me think of the pain as like a message, and it's wearing this uniform of of um, of pain, as it were. Um, mm -hmm. Most pain is, in fact, a message. <clears throat> mm. Not all. Sometimes there's really chronic pain that has mm. no relief and no. Um, uh, no mm -hmm. known cause. It definitely yeah. has a cause. But take the example of one of the places where people do feel a whole lot of pain is with, let us say, a broken forearm. This part of the arm is broken. Mm -hmm. And so they will put a maybe even a shoulder cast on it because they mm -hmm. want you to keep it still so that it will heal. Mm -hmm. But every time that kid gets that hand and starts doing because mm -hmm. it's his right hand and he does everything with his right hand, it's going to start hurting again. And the arm is telling him, hey, stop doing that. I'm healing mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the same thing is with a broken leg. Don't walk. Don't go. Don't get on those crutches. Don't go anywhere. Sit down and let the leg heal mm -hmm. is what, mm -hmm. the, what the leg is saying. Mm -hmm. This is this is true for many kinds of curative healings. This is, and in fact, the old joke is the doctor, um, the patient goes into the doctor. He says, hello, doctor. And the doctor says, yes, may I help you? And he says, every time I do this, my elbow hurts. And the doctor says, hmm, well, maybe you should stop doing this and the elbow mm. won't hurt. <laughs> mm. A lot of times, then, the pain is exaggerated because they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if we begin to make friends with it, companions begin to investigate it. See, if we don't like it, then we're already running away from mm -hmm. it. We're trying mm -hmm. to put distance between us and the pain. Mm -hmm. But if we can approach it as if we were that lion, I can handle this. Mm-hmm. That's mm, where the Buddha yeah. comes in and says, hey, mm. now, being sick or being injured or having pain, that is a, um, an opportunity to mm. practice. Mm. Mm. 
to really practice the Dhamma. Why? Because someday you really are going to be in pain. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. You're going to get old. You're going to get sick. You're going to die. How are you going to handle all of that if you can't handle this little boo-boo you've got? <laughs> mm. Mm. And so here's that um, uh, roar, come roaring into place is this right attitude. Mm-hmm. This idea, I can handle this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you can see why this attitude the Buddha is talking about is, in fact, the first step of the, this, the causality of mm-hmm. the noble mind. Mm-hmm. Is that attitude, I can do this, I can handle it. Mm-hmm. That I am not going to be a victim of my own past. Mm-hmm. I do not have to be on a bunch of medications. Mm-hmm. Mm. That in fact, um, I I know about this because of Thai doctors. I've been in Thailand for you know nearly forty years, but mm-hmm. I've also been, uh, let us say, as a monk, I went to a dentist mm-hmm. in Texas, and this particular dentist, um, I wanted to go to this other dentist because he was quite famous, but he was in Laos at the time. Mm-hmm. But his student, mm-hmm. and we and. Part of it, we had the conversation was, is that, well, why don't we just go ahead and pull all of them out because it may be a long time before I'm in a dentist office again. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea is, is that we don't need the Novocaine. The monks in Thailand, you see, they don't take the Novocaine because mm-hmm. they know that the doctor is doing this work free gratis. Mm-hmm. And that the doctor would have to buy the Novocaine, let the doctor just pull the tooth out. Mm. And then the monks don't even bother to get the prescription. He mm. says, well, please take this one because this is for antibiotics. But this one is a pain medicine, and I know you're not going to take it anyway. <laughs> mm. <laughs> okay. This is a getting back to the point of what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasu was talking about is, is that this is well known within the Sangha. That mm. the Sangha have the idea that they're tough dudes. They mm. can handle it. Mm-hmm. They can handle having teeth pulled and drilled and no Novocaine, and they can handle uh, uh, whatever pain there, there comes. Achan mm. Po walked around blind for several years because the cataracts had come, and they finally tricked him into getting him into the doctor to have the. Uh, and it's an easy surgery now. Mm-hmm. I remember reading a, a while ago, there was some. Uh, you know, part of these tests, um, tests they do on monks now and then. Um, and it was about pain response. And they had, they told um, a test group and the monks both that they were going to get an electric shock. And they asked them to measure their pain response. And they said, they, they showed the graphs of it. And the people who weren't trained meditators, there was a long um, ramp up to the pain, so even in advance of the actual shock, they were fe- they were suffering as it were, and then then they got shocked. Then there was a very slow decline, um, but the monks it was flat. <laughs> then they got shocked and it went right up, and it was actually higher than that. They, they reported higher intensities um, than any of the non meditators, and then at, at the end it just went straight back down. <laughs> So they felt it more strongly, as it were, but it was it was in the moment, and then it 
when there was no suffering before or after. Something like be here now. Yeah, exactly. They were really here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than the anticipation and the aftermath. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. I have not heard that, but I, I, it, it, it fits exactly in with everything that I know about monks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it hurt a lot, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. At okay. least you get the experience of pulling when they actually take the tooth and twist it around so that they can get it out. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Where when the mouth is numb, we don't don't get any of that. You get juicy feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so this is how we begin to understand pain mm. is just like anything else we don't like. Mm. Mm. Because now it's just, it's uh, the issue of the the actual sensation, mm. but that we don't um, hate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That you could say that in fact that 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 bell shaping of the curve is all about the negative response mm. of of ill will, not liking, wanting it to go away, and because they wanted it to go away, it didn't go away so quickly. Mm. It kind of yeah, 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 slowly went away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. This is what we're actually, how, how can, can, can you remember that that second that you got shocked <laughs> is over now? And yeah. guess what? You're not getting shocked right now. Isn't yeah. that marvelous? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's the one. That's the trick. Okay, so thank you so that's much. That's what takes sati. That's mm. the whole idea of the sati is keep coming back to this present moment and experience it as it is right now, mm-hmm. rather than shading it with the mm-hmm. past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll think on that this week. Thank you so much, Damaratu. I'm really glad you called, Patrick. Yeah. yeah, yeah, me too. Thanks a lot. See you later. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.